Duke fans, welcome to episode 300, 300 episodes of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. As always, I am joined by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Guys, thanks for being with me here. I, I can't believe we've made it to 300. Donald, any thoughts? Uh, I'm thinking that we finally made it. Uh, it, <laughs> it took a few years, but we finally made it. 300 episodes. Good for us. This is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and Sam, uh, you know what, Sam, I'm going to let you introduce our guest because Sam was absolutely insistent. We have a special guest joining us today. And, and Sam said we have to have this guy on for episode 300. Sam, tell, tell the folks who's with us. Well, look, we had episode 100. We had Someone texted me the other day and said, you guys have episode 300 coming up soon. What are you doing for it? And I said, well, we had Kenny Denard on for episodes 100 and 200. And I remembered specifically seeing Kenny last year at the Duke UNC game. And he was insistent on, instead of shaking hands, on touching elbows. I, it, this was, you know, right before the pandemic started. And I was like, man, Kenny, you seem like you're, you're pretty skittish about it. And he said, things are about to get pretty bad. And, and I don't, I don't want to be around people for it. And so lo and behold, we have Kenny Denard here for episode 300. Kenny, good morning. And we are, we are calling you and you are inside the RV that you've been living in for the last year. So folks, if you didn't know that Kenny was a genius before, now, you know, Kenny, tell us about, I guess we can start then with, Man, what have you been up to? I, we know you're living in an RV, but but how's it going out there? It's going really well. In fact, I, I had no idea when I talked to you at the Carolina game that uh, what how dreadful the, the next year was going to be for millions and really billions of people around the world. But I knew something was coming. Dogstradamus is one of my alternate ego things. And I've always thought that I'm a few minutes from the future, but there was something weird about that weekend in Durham because, you know, I had already bought in 95 masks before they went crazy. I had, I actually had one of them with my GTHC GTH logo across the front that I wore to the game. I had my green camo on. I didn't bring my gas mask because I, I thought it might not be culturally acceptable on the airplane, but I just felt like something was coming. You know, I felt like something was coming and everybody laughed at me. I wouldn't shake hands. Like you said, I had a bottle of big bottle of Perel and would always squirt people if they tried to touch me. And it was kind of funny, you know, it was, ah, that's cute. And then that Saturday at the Washington Duke, I looked down and there's an alert on my phone that they just shut down Amtrak from the Acelera from DC to New York. And I'm telling all these folks in the bar, you are all New Yorkers. You probably are infected, you know, cause now we know what it, what it, and I said, stay away from me, you know, and I'd just go to, <laughs> I'd stay in my little corner and I'd keep my dis. I didn't know about social distancing or anything, but I had moved into my motor coach about a month earlier and that was basically because I was worried about the economy. I'm not a gloom and doom guy, but I wanted to, to my wife and I decided to move on to, it's a 45 foot Integra Anthem, really nice coach, love it, driven it across country several times, and I can work from it. I've got Wi-Fi, I've got streaming, well, I've got Cat6 cables coming in here, I've got uh, satellite, I've got satellite phone if the Civil War broke out beyond, you know, capital so i was preparing for 
you know, a high tech prepper, if you wish, uh, with enough ammo and appropriate arms that, you know, I live in Texas. You got to be ready. These people down here are pretty wild. So anyway, it's thank called you for stay that. ready. And, so you don't have to get ready. Right. It's a, but the thing is, is it's, I had no idea it would get as bad as it got, but also now that I look back a year later, I'm vaccinated. Uh, next week I'll be two weeks of both doses. So I should be able to walk around in public. Uh, I'll still do all the appropriate things, but I haven't been many places. I haven't been on an airplane since I flew back from the Carolina game and I'm a million miler on United. So it's been quite the, the DTs from not traveling. I'm, I'm getting my second shot on Wednesday this week. So, so I'm with you, you know, we're both, we're both probably really, really protected, but not, you know, you want that second shot. Hey, hey can, can I, can I ask you, um, you, you're a dookie through and through, what were your impressions of this season? Let's, let's reflect on, on the season a little bit. Um, sure. It was, uh, look, we, we, we saw you last year at the Carolina game. Duke still hasn't played an NCAA tournament game. It's been well over a year. That, that alone makes it crazy. Two years in a row without a, a tournament for, for Duke. Ugh. Just, uh, you know, reflect for me a little bit on, on what you felt about this season. Well, if you if you really look at okay, once the ACC tournament was canceled last year, which is right about the time uh, we talked about the right after the Carolina game, you know the world who knew you know it wasn't like basketball mattered. I mean, sure it matters, but we had to figure out what it was. I told people in September, and I, several different areas. I've done a number of podcasts or interviews and. I said, this is going to be a long, short season. And people, what does that mean? And, and it was. It was a long, short season. Uh, I don't know. Duke, I, I remember when Duke was three and two, and they normally played 12 games by then. You know, it was like the first of the year, you know, they, had, they get those reps in. So, unfortunately, you know, it was one of those where the, the – I also said Dogstradamus hat on that the, the mature teams that have juniors and seniors will be able to manage through this better because of college isn't that fresh. It's, you know, they're crusty, they're patterns, they're into whatever routines that they have as opposed to these AKA one and done allegedly that come into the leagues or into the conferences and Duke obviously has our fair share. So I wasn't, I kept my expectations very low. I just wanted to see the kids have a chance to play. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I wouldn't want to be a kid this year in college playing basketball, no matter what team I was on is totally disrupted. You know, it's been disrupted. The coach, they're all, it's, you know, there's so many adjectives. There's so many adjectives you could use that you've heard so many times, but it's, it's just awful. It's awful what they've had to go through. It's awful what the fans, Hey, but guess what? There's light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm focusing and I hope other Duke fans are focusing on a how spoiled we have been about <laughs> how, you know, why you guys have 300 broadcasts or podcasts because there's a following Duke basketball has a, such a tradition. It's been a quarter century since Duke hadn't been, uh, had earned a spot in the NCAA tournament. So 
that legacy and all those historical markers, you know, I think we can look to the future to start fresh again. You know, I think there'll be a lot, just who knows what's going to happen, but all I do know, the one thing I do know, and then I'll let you guys ask more questions, but I've already got my tickets to Vegas for the Gonzaga game. Cause that's on the books. It was my treat. My wife and I were flying first class front of the bus. We're not going to fly, take the bus. We're flying in the big plane. So that'll, that's our first real guaranteed. Well, nothing's guaranteed, but that's our real target to have kind of back to normal. So hopefully we're there by then. Hey, one more thing about this season I want to ask you, because you're someone who has, look, I'm the old guy on the podcast. You're a little bit older than I am. <laughs> so uh, you're someone who's been watching Duke for, for decades, four decades. At least. Look, yeah, at least. I, I feel like this season, I'm not sure we've ever seen a guy develop in season the way Mark Williams did. Um, and you're a big man, you know, what, tell me a little bit about what, but you know, your thoughts on, on that development late in the season. I, I just can't recall that kind of thing happening in that kind of way in the well, past. I, I was only comparison. I mean, I've said to others that he reminded me of Clint Cabela as far as his style play, you know, the Rockets, he was here with the Rockets for many years. And he now, now just, on the Atlanta Hawks, I'm a big Hawks fan. Now okay. on the Atlanta Hawks, but, we, but he we makes love a yeah. difference. He's one of those guys who's unassuming, but he makes a difference every game. But as far as development, <clears throat> you know, you can't can't forget Zoobs. What Zoobs did for the, the 2010 team was amazing. He came on after that Maryland game. I'll never forget that game when he got all those rebounds. He got his first his first dunk. I mean. Zoobs had been kind of like a mascot, you know, like a Marty Nestle, God bless him. So here, I think from an inspirational standpoint, if we had had a chance in a normal season, that would have been a Zoob-like emergence. Zoobs obviously made a bigger impact because we went on to win the national championship. But uh, so, but I th- <laughs> You know, if you know Mr. Sensitive's writings that I forward to people, he called him Elizabeth's uh, brother as the nickname until he got good, and then he changed it, changed it up. So, but no, he he was fun to watch. I mean, the team was fun to watch when they played as a team. You know, they just were inconsistent and were not able to pull off the teamwork because as a team they could play with anybody, but they just didn't have the the reps they didn't have the i cannot imagine being isolated from family friends girlfriends social friends you know the whole way the year worked out and even from each other I mean, exactly like, yeah, yeah. They, they were they were supposed to keep it it is crazy it's crazy no i mean i can't imagine it so I, it's time and i can't imagine it for anybody i'm 62 going on 63 this year you know <clears throat> i'm i'm on the other side of all that. So, you know, when you, when you think about towards the end, when you're looking at the end, you think a lot about about the beginning, you know, and the beginning at Duke for me was so incredible. And, and I feel like none of these kids this year had any of that opportunity to feel that, that wonderment, that, that, uh, you know, fantasy of what could happen, you know, cause nobody knew our freshman year, we were going to go from, you know, last place four straight years and then go to the national championship and almost win. 
So, I mean, none of that magic, I've just felt that there was no possibility for magic. Uh, I mean, what you're going to get is Gonzaga and Baylor. That's what you're going to get, the two best teams. Maybe, but who knows? Crazy year. And looking forward to next year for at least on the Duke side, we're going to you know, hopefully start another 26-year streak in the NCAA tournament. But what do you think needs to improve for that to happen? Is there one thing that you can pinpoint from this year and say, hey, if we improve this, we're an NCAA tournament team next year? I think you have to have the team have the, the rhythm, the rotations, the, the, the execution, the practices, the, the training. I mean, they couldn't even train. I mean, look at conditioning. Look at all those. I mean, the way if they can have a normal preseason as far as conditioning and, you know, team meals and social events and to where they're not quarantined or insane. Cause I mean, I would have gone insane if I'd had to go through what they had to last year. I mean, I was pretty insane anyway, most people think. So I don't, I don't look at anything outside of, cause Duke always has the ability to recruit the talent just, you know, that's so as we start on year one of the next quarter century, it's more of will they get a chance to to have a a somewhat normal spring, uh, a spring, summer and fall as part of what because summer's big in Duke basketball. Some of the best developments have happened. That is a great point. Yeah. You know, summer's big in Duke basketball. If you don't have summer. You, you, you've lost part of that camaraderie. You've lost part of that brotherhood building and bonding. And, uh, you know, there'll be guys that I've never met because I usually try to meet, you know, I remember meeting Zion in the elevator at Washington Duke. So, I mean, there's just, you know, it's just, there's that the whole family part was destroyed or damaged, not destroyed, damaged this year. Kenny, can we transition and talk a little bit about the sort of national landscape and the and the tournament so far it's been it's been one of the wildest tournaments this year i don't know exactly how much you've watched it but um one of the craziest ncaa tournaments with double digit seeds making it now some even making it to the elite eight but lots of teams making it to the second weekend and we know that you're down in texas and there's been a lot of talk about all the various texas teams obviously baylor and houston have had great seasons so far and are still around university of texas meanwhile is going through uh a, a somewhat unexpected coaching change for them. So thoughts on, on the tournament and the kind of national landscape uh, going away from Duke a bit. Well, I, <laughs> I was kind of of the mind like Zion when he said uh, somebody asked him what, what they thought about uh, who do you think is going to win the tournament? Because well, Duke's not in it. I don't really care. That's exactly how I felt. And Amen brother. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> I have three CBS sports, you know, bracket things that automatically refresh every year. I don't know how to delete them. So <laughs> this year I had like one of them is dog always picks Duke. Well, I had to, I did get, I did figure out how to go change the names as dog can't pick Duke this year, you know, but they all went out and normally I have one, one of them has three or 400 people in it. Another one has 80 friends in it. Another one has, you know, 70 or you know, it's just over the years I've started these brackets, but I can't figure out how to delete them. But this national, you know, the national scene and how all these things have transpired, I didn't even fill out a bracket. I, I did 
this is just background before I answer your question. One of them I picked all favorites. You know, you get to do automatic picks. The other one I picked all upsets. <laughs> and the other one I picked random. And my random's doing the best because it had a mix of, I think I've got Arkansas winning the national championship in my random one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's kind of the way I look at it. As far as Texas teams, you know, I'm happy for all. I've got a number of friends who are all excited that these Texas teams won in the first day or two days or whatever. But, you know, the <clears throat> to me, it's just not, without Kentucky, without Kansas, without Duke. I mean, it's nice to see UCLA kind of, yeah, I love the kid, the Tiger kid, the name Tiger kid who looks like Bob Marley. I like that. That was something entertaining, but I, I really haven't, you know, and I love that we have Dr. Spock as our you know guy in the NBC booth there, whatever, whatever that guy's name is. I forgot, but he looks just like Spock. He's got the pointy ears and everything. And of course, Charles, who's a buddy of mine, he's just, oh, and shout out just to my great nephew, Joseph Denard, who's battling six years old, battling uh, pediatric brain cancer. Super Joe has gone through three uh, really, really tough months of, or three different month long treatments with chemotherapy and he's doing great. So everybody send their love to my Super Joe. Anyway, just had to get that in there, but it's entertainment. <clears throat> I don't really care who wins. I don't really care who's playing, but I think Gonzaga and Baylor are probably the best teams. I'm sorry. I don't have any more enthusiasm. No, about Hey, that it's the, it's the, it's the probably true Duke fans perspective that, you know, if we're not in it, who cares? Um, yeah. I, I, the, the other kind of national topic that I wanted to talk about that, touches on Duke a little bit is that we're having a, a pretty wild coaching carousel this time around, you know, some big jobs have opened up between Indiana, which already filled their, their uh, role with Mike Woodson. Texas obviously is now open with Shaka smart leaving for Marquette, which was open because they had gotten rid of our Steve Wojciechowski. Any thoughts on, on coaches that are moving around the country. And, and we also know that I think that the three of us will talk about this, even when you're not on that, you know, We've heard a lot of rumblings in recent years about John Shire and Nate James potentially eventually moving on to head coaching gigs. So any thoughts on on Duke guys and and the coaching roles that they're either in or or maybe thinking about taking? Well, I, you know, I didn't I don't follow that stuff too much unless it pops up during this. Like I saw the Woody thing. Woody's a former we, we were teammates for two years in Kansas City and he uh, coached Atlanta, which Bob Bender was his assistant for many, many years. So I, I really appreciate Woody. I think he's going to be a good choice there. Uh, as far as Wojo, I didn't, it took days, kind of like uh, uh, Pony Express. It took days for that news to get to South Houston. I thought your, <laughs> I thought your Wi-Fi is, is all hooked up and you're, and you're yeah, fully but that's, connected. Here. I mean, Marquette <laughs> coaching changes are not on the top. You know, there's a, there's a hierarchy of need here. And that, that wasn't really in the, uh, uh, but I wish I I love Ojo and I think he's probably one of the better of the coaching tree that's out there, and I'm sure he'll do fine uh, as far as what happens at Duke. I mean, you know, how many times do people? I don't think it's been, I guess, since the Lakers made a run at Coach K that every year there's been when is he going to retire? 
I just know the story that I'll share that, you know, Coach K in the early days after winning two national championships had not been treated well by Duke. I don't know if I told this story on your show before, but I went back to Duke. <clears throat> Actually, I moved back to North Carolina in 93. And I went back to uh, a work for a company called Coastal Healthcare Group, or Coastal Physician Group. And the CEO there had offered me the job and said, if you come back and do my investor relations, I'll let, you, yeah, I wanted to go get my executive MBA. So I applied, I came back. He said, I'll pay for Duke or I'll pay for Carolina, whichever one you want. You know, Duke at that time was 50 grand for the program and Carolina was 25 grand. So I filled out all the application work and I got, you know, Dean Smith was one of my references on the Carolina one couple other Carolina guys who are big, you know, multi-gazillionaires. And then I had Coach K fill out the application, or be the reference, and two other Duke multi-gazillionaires, including my boss, Dr. Scott, who was worth about $400 million at the time. Send in my applications, and the, the next, I send them in on a Friday and on a Sunday. I'm sitting there talking to somebody. So which one would you go to? I said, whichever will let me in. You know, I'm just wanting to get, you know, that, Exec that MBA behind me. And that was then when I was in my mid-30s. So Tuesday, I get a call from Carolina to come in for the interview. I go in for the interview Wednesday. I get accepted by Friday. Still nothing from Duke. Now there is a point to the story, so hang in there. Still nothing from Duke. So another week comes by. I call Duke up. I say, hey, by the way, I've already been accepted to Carolina for their executive MBA, you know. Flagler thing. What's up? I haven't even heard back from you. He goes, Oh, that's right. The scout says, I was going to call you. We need another reference. I said, what do you mean need another reference? You got three. So, well, coach K's reference doesn't work over here. He doesn't have any, I'm going, what? <laughs> you know what? So I picked up the phone and I called coach K and I'm living in Raleigh and you know, and this is Grand Hill senior year, right? So I'm really excited about the coming season. And uh, Coach K is like, what? Yeah. And so then he goes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. But that's the problem that Duke had with Coach K early. People forget about it. They didn't, I mean, they treated him like he was something different than Duke University, even though he won two national championships back-to-back -back, had Grant Hill in the finals in 94. He was not considered reference material for one of his former players, his first captain. They didn't give him over to business school. You know, of course that changed. Obviously that changed, but I went to Carolina. I did go to Carolina to get my education. I tell people I went to Duke for the basketball, but uh, <laughs> the reason I'm telling this story is, 2004, I think it was, LA makes a run, the Lakers make a run at Coach K because Duke was still kind of not, ex you know, they still haven't showed Coach K the love. And I'm not talking out of school. I, I, I'm not telling secrets. Why would he consider it if he didn't feel like those? And so, but everybody knows the story about why he stayed, you know, the letter from the kid. And uh, you, you all know that story about how, Mickey got this letter and they broke down crying. And really that was the thing. Why would we want to leave Duke? Well, obviously he stayed 
won a couple of more championships, <clears throat> you know, two more, uh, 2010, 2015. And of course they're naming stuff for him all over the place, but it, t- it was a rocky road to get to where coach K is today. But if you look at all the things that he's done for this university, Duke owes him multiple hundreds of millions of dollars of the billions they've raised due to him. Oh yeah. Bottom line, bottom line. Yeah. So what comes next is going to be just like any great, you know, super icon goat relatable coach, whether it's Adolph Rupp, the racist Colonel from the Kentucky militia or John Wooden, who they paid their kids to go through school. And I'm saying all this because it's true. You know, Wooden, John Wooden, he's like believed to be, and I'm, I'm not ashamed. I have personal knowledge about how they recruited. They did. They went around the rules. They did. Guys didn't go to to UCLA on scholarship. They were paid. They were just regular. They got paid by this guy named Sam, whatever his name is. Sam so Gilbert. Str- Sam yeah. Gilbert. Yep. Yeah. So all that. But look at Duke. Coach K's from a program that could be examined every way, digitally or not, they've done a pretty good job staying clean, and that's from leadership. That's from Coach K's leadership. But um, so the next coach, who knows who it's going to be? It'll be a Duke, Duke tree person. It'll be one of the family tree, whether it's Shire, whether it's, you know, Wojo, whether it's uh, I mean, it could be anybody. We've got a lot of great candidates to choose from. I just don't think that time's going to come anytime soon. I just you, think you, know, you think he's sticking around for a little while longer. I, I, I love yeah. the hey, as I mean, as look I'm at him forever. He's like Jerry <laughs> Lewis, man. His hair still black. He's he's, he's gonna uh, he's, he looks great, and he 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 relates to these kids. Now, <clears throat> this year doesn't count. What happened this year didn't count for any coach, in my opinion. So, Although, uh, Kenny, I'll tell you, being on the – I was on virtually every um, press conference they had this year after the games because we could do them all via Zoom, so I didn't have to actually be in attendance for them. Yeah, I, I didn't see – I didn't sense any degree of Coach K, you know, not being completely engaged on that team. Um, I know. Yeah. I know. He, he, he's still very, very passionate about this cares deeply about his players and um you know look when he would talk about mark williams's development you could see him light up and and how much he he loved that and and when the team struggled you could see how much it pained him not you know not for himself but for the team um no and that's i'm saying i think he's got many years left i I know he's got he wants to win another one right just to get that six to separate him from everybody else to I mean, nobody's going to win like uh, the UCLA coach. Yeah, John Wooden, right? But uh, yeah, I don't mention his name because he he went around the rules to make his fiefdom. But that's you know that's that's another story. But no, I'm it. I'm I'm excited about his excitement. He keeps us all engaged. Uh, you know, all you know, but but you have to think the program that's at that level that he's created. It's created so much for us, players, fans, former players. The 
the, the, the pot shots that people take are just, they kind of fall, they go poop and they bounce off the, the, the metal structure because he's just that mentally tough and mentally strong. And uh, it's just next year should be fun because we'll have quite a bit of time of pent up demand to scream and holler and hopefully be in the, the uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium again to see games. Amen. Uh, boy, we cannot wait. Kenny, thank you so much. We really appreciate you gracing us with your presence once again on episode 300, 100, 200, 300. We don't even have to ask. You know you're going to be here for number 400, right? <laughs> God willing. It, it's going to happen. It, it, hey, and, and the pace we do these things now, it may be happening sooner than, than we think, right? <laughs> good for you. Well, keep stamping them out, man. You guys are great. I listen all the time. Thanks much, sir. We appreciate it. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Sweet 16, and we're also going to talk about a beloved Dookie who is leaving the program. All that coming up. Okay, folks, so we're back from uh, the commercial break. And again, we want to thank Kenny Denard. That was great fun. And he had some interesting insight into the NCAA tournament. And, and that's what we want to get into now. The Sweet 16 has been played. Uh, it, it, there were not quite as many upsets as we saw earlier in the tournament. Um, in fact, you know, it, it, I don't want to say, I don't want to say we didn't get any surprising results, but I, I don't know that we had any that were Truly, truly shocking. Maybe UCLA over Alabama. I would say that I would say that having two double-digit seed Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight is not something that I thought was going to happen. But yeah, well, well, but uh, Oregon State beating Loyola wasn't wasn't exactly like a huge, huge shocker. Um, anyway, guys, that's what we we want to talk now about the 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 Sweet 16 games as we lead into the Great Eight because we're recording this on Monday morning. None of the Great Eight games have been played yet. And actually, you know, my first question for you guys, uh, the tournament, of course, did this differently than they have in the past. We had we had all the Sweet 16 games played, none of them overlapping with each other, you know, on Saturday and Sunday. They, they spread them out. And so we got to watch every single game as opposed to having games at the same time, which is the way they, they usually do it. Usually we're doing these on Thursday and Friday night. Um, and now we're going to get the grade eight games on Monday and Tuesday night. Do you guys like the change? I kind of like the change. I, I, you know, to me, I got to watch more basketball. <laughs> that was a good thing. Donald. I like that. They over the past couple of years, they've done a better job about spreading out all the games, not just the sweet 16 and elite eight, but all the games, even at first and second round, they stagger them where you really only have like an hour or so where there are three or four games on at the same time. So I really like that they do that. I, I'm not quite sure if doing the Sweet 16 on a Saturday, Sunday is going to be the thing because the biggest night of TV is Thursday. And the reason why they did the Sweet 16 on Thursday and Friday is because they wanted to have that Thursday night block. And they're missing that with these with this year's tournament. The only thing that they've had on Thursday is the first four. So I want to see what the ratings look like. Obviously, ratings are going to be lower, but, you know, take COVID out of the equation. But I do think that the real question is whether having the Elite Eight on Monday night and Tuesday night is better than having the Elite Eight on Saturday and Sunday. I think the only really tough thing for me is that 
being back in, in the East Coast, it's so funny to, to see how differently my consumption of all this was when I was living in mountain time, where the game, like no games truly start late when you're living in mountain time or the West Coast. But on the East Coast, there was a game each night that started at 10 o'clock. And it's not like I'm not a I'm not a boxing fan, so I don't stay up for the for the heavyweight fights when when they happen, you know, occasionally on pay-per-view. But that is a time that I feel like is I'm only going to really be watching TV and watching the whole thing if I'm like out at a bar and surprise, I'm not out at bars these days because I I don't think that's a good idea. So I I thought it was fun having the games all day, but I wish that there had that they had been like a little closer together so we wouldn't have to have the last game tipping off at 10 o'clock. Well, welcome back to the East Coast, first of all. Um, yeah, uh, it sucks. This is this is normal, but I will say. <laughs> The, the 10 o'clock starts and we have them for the elite eight as well. Both nights that pills in comparison to the five overtime NCAA hockey game that between St. Cloud state and North Dakota, that went five OTs and didn't end to like two 45 in the morning on the East coast. So, and, and I fell asleep during that, that that was, I, I watched the last NCAA tournament game and then was able to watch three OTs before falling asleep. Look, they could just institute shootouts. They, they don't have to do this they could. To themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and everyone sure, likes the shoot. Sure it's not, it's not representative of the actual skill of the team, but it is fun. Uh, so guys, in terms of talking about the games and we we've already mentioned a little bit uh, about Oregon state, a 12 seed reaching the, the, the round of eight, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. And I, I, I what folks need to remember is that Oregon state was not going to make this tournament unless they won the PAC 12 tournament that they, there was no chance that they were going to the NCAA tournament unless they won the Pac-12 tournament. So I went back and looked. Uh, I, I took the, the Ken Palm chance, percent chance that you're going to win each game because Ken Pomeroy will do this for, for every game that you play. He gives you a percentage chance of winning. Um, and, and you have to go back to the start of that Pac-12 tournament. What do you get? Because that's, you know, their season ends as soon as they lose. They've now won six games in a row. Where, where any loss would have knocked them out. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys, what do you think are the odds, according to Ken Pomeroy, that they would win all six of those games? Give me just a guess, just a, a stab in the dark. 0.6%. Yeah, I was going to go something less than one, but, and, and 0.6 is about, is it maybe where I would have, I would, probably would have pegged like 0.2 or 0.3. Uh, the the answer is way way less than that. Uh, I, I so just really quick. So first they played UCLA. They had at the start of that game a twenty eight point three percent chance of winning that game. Then they played Oregon. They had a twenty three percent chance of winning that game. That this is all according to Ken Palm. They played Colorado. They had less than an eighteen percent chance to win that game. Then the NCAA tournament, Tennessee. They've got a twenty two percent chance to win. Oklahoma State. They had a 29% chance to win that game. And then the game against Loyola, they only had a 24% chance to beat Loyola. Take all those percentage chances, multiply them all together. You get 0.0188%. Put it this way. Ken Palm says there was about a one in 5,000, one in 5,000 chance that Oregon State would be where they are today. It's, it's pretty amazing that this team is still around I don't really want to see them make the final four. I'll say that because I, I, I sort of feel like teams that, you know, it, it's fun to have upsets, but the teams that make the final four, I feel like should really, really deserve it. We should really think that they are the best teams. And, and if we're going to go ahead and pick, 
uh, grade eight winners. I'm going with three one seeds and a two seed. <laughs> uh, you know, the crazy thing is, is, as bizarre as this tournament has been with all the upsets and all the other insanity, it really looks like we're going to get Michigan, Baylor, Gonzaga, and Houston, three one seeds and a two seed in the final four. And that is, and that sort of speaks to like the, the tournament is long. And we said going in that there was a, a clear top tier for teams this year in college basketball. Like, like there was separation obviously between Gonzaga and everything, everyone else. And then there are sort of a few teams behind them. Baylor most prominent among them, but, but Michigan, certainly we, we thought Illinois was good, but there are other really good teams. And it turns out those teams will still win their games. Yeah. For me, I mean, look, I, I'm looking at my bracket. I still have three of my final four intact after losing Purdue in the first two hours of the tournament, uh, because I somehow picked them to go to the final four, but that that's just mistakes. Mistakes were made. But I think when it comes to this whole tournament, I think it's playing out exactly how we thought. There's a lot of upsets. A lot of the good teams are still playing good and they're still in it. And, and at the end of the day, you know, these games are going to be pretty electric because when I'm looking at these matchups, you, Gonzaga versus USC, I mean, I can't say USC, I can't count them out because really this year what I've learned is you can't really count out a Pac-10. Pac-12 team. They had four teams in the Sweet 16, and the only one that lost was Oregon, and they played USC. So, I mean, you have to count them, give them a chance. Even against Gonzaga, UCLA has been playing very well. I know they're going up against my Michigan team, uh, but they're playing pretty well. And then, you know, honestly, on the other side, Houston-Oregon State is a toss-up because both of them have played very well out of that Midwest bracket. You know, there's something amazing about the Houston team, just really quick. You guys have probably heard this, but no one has ever done this before. Houston is going to end up playing nothing but double-digit seeds in every single one of their games to reach the Final Four. They played a 15, then a 10 in Rutgers, then an 11 in Syracuse, and now they're playing a 12 in Oregon State. 10, 11, 12, they're actually playing worse teams (laughs) each round as they move forward. Like, they go, they advance forward, and they play someone who's worse each time. Um, That Houston team living a charmed life to get uh, to get where they are and and potentially to get to the final four, but they're really good. I mean, that's the oh yeah, other, that's yeah, really good. And I believe that's going to be Kelvin Sampson's thousandth game uh, as a coach. So I mean, they have great coaching, they have great players, they've built a program back up, and they've been close in the last few years. They've had a couple of like heartbreakers in the NCAA tournament, notably a few years ago, uh, Michigan beat them on a last second three pointer. But they're getting basically every year they've just been getting steadily better and better. And under the radar, because as we kind of mentioned in Texas, you have Texas to worry about. You have Baylor to worry about. Even, you know, A&M and Texas Tech have been good in previous years. Houston's kind of been always the team that's just kind of left off to the side and they've steadily built back up and they're on the verge of going to, to the final four. Donald, you were talking about USC and how strong they've looked. The one of the ironies here is that, you know, we have we have sort of four of the very top teams that are left, which is the three number one seeds in Houston. And then they're playing presumably four underdogs. USC is far and away, according to Ken Palm, the best of the teams that are remaining. So Gonzaga actually has the toughest game. USC, now the, the tournament results tend to tend to skew a little bit because the teams that win get to keep playing and the teams that lose don't get to drop as much because they because they don't get any more games. But USC is now up to number six in Ken Palm. And they're, you know, they're still listed as a number six seed, as a six seed, which would imply that they're somewhere in the 20s. But they're number six in Ken Palm now. They're still very much far behind Gonzaga in terms of their total efficiency margin, but they're notably better than both UCLA, who is the second best team, according to Ken Baum of the of the underdogs. And then Arkansas is third. 
uh, as the as a remaining three seed, the only uh, you know team that that is like that is seated in a way that would indicate that they should still you know potentially be around at this point. USC is a six, UCLA is eleven, and Oregon State's a twelve. These are teams that should be long gone by the time we get to the the elite eight, but but they're not. And and USC is grading out really well right now. I only had speaking of the the picks because you, you mentioned Donald about about how wild your bracket's been. I have two Final Four teams left, but they're also the only two Elite Eight teams that I had correctly picked, which was Gonzaga and Arkansas. And I don't feel great about Arkansas heading into its matchup with Baylor. Yeah, the the only Final Four teams that I have left, I, I had Florida State, they, they and Illinois, both of them fallen aside. Uh, I I got Gonzaga and Baylor left. Uh, guys, last thing. Is anybody beating Gonzaga? I mean, Sam mentioned USC's looked really good. I don't think anybody's beating Gonzaga. No, I, I, you you said it last night. We had in our group chat last night. Jason asked the the question. Now is is anyone beating Gonzaga? I said, what? like I, I think my response was something like, "When was that ever a question?" Like, yeah, like the the my my lesson from this year is don't overthink it. Gonzaga is really really good, and we have they a- they they were they were better than Creighton. Like you know, basically from the you know, it wasn't it wasn't a buy a lot in the beginning, yeah. but but they were better than Creighton the whole way. And Creighton is really good, right? When when Alex O'Connell transferred last year because he was he was on Creighton and and you know we know that he was there. He didn't get very many minutes. And when he transferred, we were speculating about you know where's he going to go and oh you know how is this going to work out for him? Creighton was projected to be a top twenty team this year, and we were like, oh AOC is not going to get that much playing time. This is a weird pick for him. And they were really good. And Gonzaga still beat the crap out of them. We have been asking the question, who can beat Gonzaga all year? And all year we've been, the answer has been nobody. Nobody. That answer has not changed. Until someone beats them, that answer will still be nobody. And, and really they, and the thing is, they have seemed to get stronger as the tournament goes along, even as they're playing better play, better teams. So it's, it's incredible what they're doing, and, and let's see if they can keep it up throughout the rest of it. One very cool Gonzaga note. I, I saw this article this weekend in the Wall Street Journal. There was a great uh, article about Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs and uh, UConn women's basketball player Paige Beckers, who are both from the Minneapolis area, and apparently they're like best friends, and they're like the two best players in, in college basketball this year on their respective sides. So uh, check out that, that article. It's really interesting about how much talent is coming out of Minneapolis right now. We know this because Duke has actually had a bunch of guys come from the Minneapolis area uh, in the last couple of years between Matthew Hurt, Jones Brothers, Gary Trent, and and apparently there, there are tons more of them. So pretty cool, interesting stuff about one of Gonzaga's very best players. Even Prince could play basketball. Even, yeah, exactly. That's right. We remember that. I don't know if Bob Dylan was, is good at basketball. He's still, he's still kicking, but, but he doesn't strike me as the, as the Hooper. Well, so guys, that's going to, that's going to do it for our conversation about the sweet 16. We do need to discuss uh, some important Duke news. Um, just a few days ago, the word came out that Jordan Goldwire uh, would be playing. He, he has the option of taking a fifth year. Uh, everybody, you know, who played this year gets an extra year, according to the NCAA, because COVID times are so crazy. And so seniors are allowed to play one more year. And Jordan Goldwire said, yes, I'm going to play one more year. But at the same time, he said, I'm, I'm going to enter the transfer portal and I'm, I'm not going to do it. At Duke. He hasn't definitively said, I'm not going to do it at Duke. I guess he's sort of definitively said Duke has, Duke has acknowledged that Jordan Goldwire is looking for someplace else to play his, his final season of college basketball. 
And, and the reaction from Duke fans has been absolutely unanimous. I don't even think we need to necessarily get into, you know, our reaction to it. Cause everyone says the same thing. They love Jordan. They wish he was coming back to Duke. They know he could help next year's team, but they completely understand why he's looking for a larger opportunity. Uh, Donald, give me your, you know, some thoughts, some reflections. What, what is, what does all this mean for Jordan to be leaving the Duke program? Yeah, it wasn't a surprise for me because like you said, they gave him a senior night along with Mike Buckmeyer. It, it didn't seem like he was planning to return to Duke for a fifth year at all. Like he could have gone abroad. He, he tried his, you know, professionally, but instead it'll be a grad transfer. I thought that was always a possibility and the way the team approached it this year was with the understanding that he would not be back with the program after this year. So it tells me that, you know, one, I, I think the, the adoration for Jordan Goldwire is universal. I think all of us appreciated all that he gave us and, and, you know, talk about growth, right? I mean, when he first got here, he was not a guy that we could rely on for big minutes and he became an all ACC defensive player and one of the best defensive players in college basketball over the course of his four years. But this tells me that Coach K is ready just to hand the keys to uh, Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart and maybe even Trevor Keels if if we are able to get him and have them be the primary guards. That you know, if we land Trevor Keels, I mean, Roach, again, Roach's teammate at Paul VI out here uh, in Fairfax, in Virginia, that's another guy who's going to command major minutes. You have Wendell Moore and you have Joey Baker who can also do at the two and three. So Jordan probably wants to play and he – can use, you know, his grad transfer to go someplace where he, he can bring the experience level. He obviously is going to have the Duke pedigree wherever he goes, and he's going to be a part of that brotherhood. But it's it was not a surprise for me to see that he's leaving, and I wish him well. He was one of, you know, the great Dukies when it comes to playing on defense and, and, and a team that was lacking in a couple of areas in defense throughout the years. He was the main constant in that category and so we really wish him well and we're, we're glad that he was a part of the program and it's one thing for a guy to transfer out after his freshman or sophomore year because of playing time and that's a that is something of a different story I think when we talk about Jamin Brakefield that's a little bit of a different story because Jamin Brakefield still has you know I, I think he has a shot at, at being a pro player that there are some aspects of his game that he's going to need to improve but you could definitely see Jamin Brakefield having a huge year next season wherever he plays and, and going to the NBA draft. I don't know if he'll get drafted, but, but certainly getting a shot. Jordan Goldwire is probably not going to play in the NBA. Now he could grind it out and, and he could make it. I, I don't know how many times I've mentioned on the show that like Lance Thomas carved out a long NBA career and he was not an NBA prospect when he was at Duke, but Jordan Goldwire knows that it's, that's going to be a, a struggle for him. It's going to be hard for him to get minutes next year with, with all the guys who are coming back and, Donald, we also didn't mention AJ Griffin, who is going to get time at the three, which is going to push everybody else, you know, and, and, and if he's as if he's the 30 plus minute a game player that I think he could be, then that takes up even more minutes away from Jordan Goldwire. So Goldwire doesn't have a, a real shot at getting the huge minutes this year. So let him go get minutes for somebody else. Let him let him, you know, potentially go get a graduate degree, prepare him for. Uh, a professional career that may not be in the NBA, but it may be in the G League. It may be overseas, and and let him get lots of playing time because he's he's earned it, and he's he's played really well at Duke. He's as you said, become one of the best defensive players, and I'm I I'll still be rooting for him. I, I don't think that he he left anything sort of on the table at Duke. Look, the the, the selfish, I say selfish, the, the Duke centric story on this is is the question of playing time, and I think 
the fact that Jordan um, is choosing to go someplace else uh, tells you something about what the Duke roster is going to look like, what the makeup of the team is going to be next year. Because if Duke had been able to offer him 25 minutes a game next year, I think Jordan would have stayed. I think he would have gladly remained in the program. You saw from his statement, from Duke's statement, there's no bad blood here. Um, uh, Jordan Goldwire was not a highly touted recruit. Uh, the fact that he turned himself into a very useful, valuable player for Duke, a, a all ACC defensive team kind of player is a testament to his effort and to the opportunities that Duke gave him that, that many folks thought probably wouldn't be there. Um, but looking ahead to next year, you guys have already touched on it, but I want to really crystallize it for people. Minutes in the backcourt are going to be tough to come by. I, I think Jordan Goldwire was going to really struggle to get you know, I don't want to put a number on it, but maybe 10 minutes a game. I think it was going to be difficult for him because, as Sam mentioned, we've got uh, A.J. Griffin coming in, who, who's probably going to take a ton of minutes at the three. That's going to push Wendell Moore uh, more into the backcourt. You know, Wendell Moore, I think, is going to be playing a lot of two. And Wendell Moore, we saw late in the season, was playing point guard. I think you're going to see Wendell Moore playing point guard for this Duke team. Uh, we know Jeremy Roach and almost certainly DJ Stewart are going to be coming back, even though most people think DJ is going to put his name in the draft process, find out what the NBA wants to see from him. But the presumption is that he will return to Duke. And, and a lot still of people, no announcements on that front, by the right, way. Right. Right. Exactly. I, I continue yeah. to be surprised at, at how slow they're moving, but, but I guess it is sort of deliberate this year. Yeah. I mean, we don't even have a day. The NBA hasn't announced a date for the draft yet. So, so there are no dates for declarations and the such. I think, you know, there's no rush. There's no reason for guys to put their name in. Uh, early at this point, especially because the NBA is still dealing with the regular season. They're not even really doing, uh, you know, a, a ton of scouting at this point uh, on these players. But but I was going to say, I, I, I think that the, that there is a indication in this announcement from Jordan Goldwire that Duke feels pretty good about Trevor Keels. We're going to get that decision from Trevor Keels in the next week or so. Um, a, a highly touted uh, combo guard, point guard, shooting guard, um, uh, who who a lot of people think Duke has a very, very good chance of landing, who would be yet another guy to put, to, to take away, you know, potential Jordan Goldwire minutes. So I, I think the fact that Jordan chose to leave uh, and, and again, wish him well and, and love the guy and I'll be following his career where he goes. I think it tells us something about, you know, sort of a crush four minutes in the backcourt next year at Duke. And that could give us some indication of how Duke feels about Trevor Keels. Before we go, we, we, we have not talked a lot lately. We've been so wrapped up in college basketball, we haven't talked about Dukies in the NBA. But there are a whole bunch of Duke guys who at the NBA trade deadline just a few days ago had to pack their bags and go to a brand new city. <laughs> uh, Donald, I know you want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, you know, Get me into this topic about Dukies on the move. Yeah, so there was quite a few, and I'm going to touch brief, briefly on a couple of them, but there's one stat about one trade that is going to blow everybody's mind. So I'll start with just a brief rundown of what the trades were. JJ Redick uh, is leaving the Bayou Brotherhood. He is on his way to Dallas or is now in Dallas playing with the Mavericks. Wendell Carter Jr. was traded to Orlando in the Nikola Vucevic trade. So he was a big piece of that. He also went with Otto Porter, didn't go to Duke, but is, is part of that puzzle. Austin Rivers got traded to Oklahoma City, who then waived him. So he is now looking for a team. Jabari Parker. He got waived by Sacramento. He did not get traded. It seems that his career 
may be in danger of being done. He's been, you know, he was the number two pick back in 2014. He's kind of bounced around. I know he got hurt when he was in Milwaukee. Yeah, injuries have been the story of his career. Because the first few years of his career, he was a definite NBA scorer. And but he's got hurt and his knees have never been the same. Yeah. And so we, we may have seen the last of Jabari Parker, at least in the NBA. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens with that. Marvin Bagley, the third, appears to be done with Sacramento, too. They were trying very hard to trade him. They almost traded him to the Detroit Pistons, but the Pistons backed off and ended up switching to uh, another player at the last minute. So Marvin Bagley, the third, is still with the Kings, but it could be that he is only there for a couple more months. But there was one trade that is the site of one of the craziest stats you will ever hear. Some of you probably out there heard that Portland traded Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. to the Toronto Raptors for Norm Powell. Seems interesting, right? But it brings up this stat. In 2021, this year, Portland traded Gary Trent Jr. to Toronto. 23 years ago, in 1998, Portland traded Gary Trent Sr. to Toronto, the shack of the Mac and the father of Gary Trent Jr. That makes Gary Sr. and Gary Jr. the first father-son duo to be traded by the same team to the same team. It gets better. Both Gary Trent Jr. and Sr. started their careers in Portland and were traded to Toronto 41 games into their third season. Oh, come yeah, on. I, that is absolutely correct. That they is crazy. They were traded <laughs> at the exact same point in their career by the same team to the same team. Gary Sr., however, only played 13 games for the Raptors. So we are hoping that Gary Jr. sticks around for longer than that. But honestly, again, the same two, the same father-son duo traded at the exact same time by the exact same team to the exact same team is the craziest stat you will ever hear. Well, don't say that Gary Jr. doesn't have anyone to turn to for advice in this moment. Because exactly. he's got someone who was, <laughs> who was in literally the exact same position. He called dad and was like, yo, what, what, what the so hell? What do like, I do now? He's like, all right, let me give you some steps that'll, that'll have you avoid having to only play 13 more games in your NBA career. Although to be fair, Gary Trent Jr. has not stepped foot in Toronto because the Toronto Raptors are right now the Tampa Bay Raptors. They've been playing down at the Amelie Center because of COVID restrictions. So he has not yet stepped foot in Toronto. That is the only difference between him and senior. That, that is that is crazy. You, you'd said to us, folks, I want you to know, Donald said a couple of days ago, he goes, I got a crazy NBA trade stat about Gary Trent and I want you guys to hear. I, I, I had no idea what it was going to be. Donald, you surpassed my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I read it, it was just, I was like, that can't be true. And like, I can't tell you how many, like I did like an hour worth of research to make sure that everything lined up correctly. And sure enough, it did, which is as you keep doing this, you keep unpacking it. You're just like, this can't be true. No, that is true. And then you just kind of sit there for 30 minutes like, oh, my God, they really have the exact same career path, which is incredible. Yeah, that is that is truly remarkable. Uh, folks, uh, that is going to wrap it up for us here on episode 300 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Donald and uh, yeah, Donald, wait, you got one more thing you want to do? Yeah, yeah, real quick, just, you know, as we're wrapping up, uh, I know you're about to, but this is 300 episodes. We we say this every hundred episodes that we do, but when we started this back in 2014, we were just three moderators who had not yet met each other in person who were just kind of like, hey, Duke doesn't have a lot of podcasts. Let's just start one. And the average 95% of all podcasts, there's a billion podcasts in the world. 95% of them don't make it beyond seven episodes. The reason why they do is because of listeners out there like you who tune in every week, who send us emails, who 
are filling out the survey to tell us what we can do better. I will, I will give one nugget. There was a lot of love for Kane Denard, which is why we brought him back for number 300. So we thank you out there for listening to us all the, you know, throughout these years, 300 episodes, uh, Jason and Sam, you know, we started this, we were, we were young men and now we're older men. Um, and we, we're, we've grown, we've grown together. We've become great friends and we, we get to talk about Duke basketball all the time, which I really appreciate. So, uh, to you two, thank you. And to all of you guys out there uh, who are listening, thank you so much for listening to our voices for all this time, because it's been fun to do this. And it's even more fun knowing that you guys enjoy it. And all of that, Donald, I, I echo and, and, and would say, Thank you to, to the two of you and to everybody out there, but also that we have great things to come. We have some guests lined up coming on soon that are going to be awesome. And I know uh, Jason's got, got his 2001 project that he wants to tease. So uh, plenty more. And don't forget, before I let Jason tell you more about the project, tinyurl.com slash DBR podcast survey, go fill it out. We've gotten a lot of good responses, but we could use more. So, so keep coming back and do the survey. Jason. Uh, wrap us up here today for episode yeah, 300. Uh, so first of all, Donald, I completely agree. I love your comments. Thank you so much for, for making them. Uh, and I agree, uh, you know, to me, uh, the great thing to come out of this, this whole effort has been, I, I've, I've become friends with the two of you guys that I, we, we'd never met each other in real life before. And, and I feel like you two are two of my best friends now. And, and it took us 150 episodes for us all to be in the same room. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's crazy. But, but I, I think we're all going to try to go to the Gonzaga game, the Duke Gonzaga game in November. That's uh, I'm, I'm trying to convince my wife. It ain't, it ain't easy at the moment, but, but we're working on it. But like Sam said, I do want to let folks know later this week, I will be dropping the first episode of my of the oral history of the 2001 national championship team. Um, I, I got a chance to to talk to Shane Battier, Mike Dunleavy, Carlos Boozer, Jay Williams, and every other guy that was on Nate James, every other guy that was on that team in 2001, the entire team sat down and, and recorded interviews with me. And I'm going to be dropping the first of those on Friday, Friday, April 2nd will be the 20th anniversary the exact 20th anniversary of that team in 2001, winning the national title, achieving the ultimate goal. And, and you're going to hear starting on Friday, uh, we're going to have a whole series of podcasts throughout the summer where you will hear from that team about the various things that happened along the way, what they needed to do, what they needed to be mentally to get to that ultimate prize. It, it's a fascinating conversation. I want to, those guys were incredibly revealing to me and, and I can't wait to share it all with all of you. I'm still, I'm still furiously editing all of it. It is crazy. There's, I've got almost 20 hours of interviews to go through, <laughs> um, but we'll be dropping the first episode on Friday. I hope everyone will be here for that. Even before that, we're going to do another episode midweek after the, the grade eight games, previewing the final four. So we'll be back for that. That'll be episode 301. Episode 302 will presumably be the first of the of the 2001 podcast, but there could be other news that happens. You never know when it's going to happen with us. So make sure you like and subscribe to the DBR podcast. That way, if you're subscribed, then the moment we drop a special episode, you will get it in your feed, in your inbox, wherever it is you consume podcasts. Also, we've been getting tons of email. Keep on emailing us. We respond to every single email we get dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Write to us. We'll write back to you. And if you got a good question or an interesting comment, we bring it up here on the show all the time. 
But that's going to do it here for episode 300. Thanks again to Kenny Denard for joining us. Donald and Sam, thanks for joining me. I'm Jason. And here's the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. Sweet 16 has just wrapped up um, and it wasn't Jesus. Hold on a second. Something, something just fell. What the hell was that? His house is haunted. Did he hear that? <laughs> what did he say? I don't know. I, uh... <laughs> I was going to, I was trying to come up with a, with a pithy response to what just fell in relation to the tournament but I couldn't think oh. of anything on the spot. <laughs> um, I don't know. So like <laughs> Ohio State's tournament chances. Yeah. <laughs> what what just fell? The, the standing of the ACC in modern yeah. times. <laughs> Meanwhile, what's rising? The Pac-12. Who knew? Pac-12. <laughs> Pac-12. Best conference in college basketball. <laughs> Your house haunted? No. <laughs> it was a door. No. Doors don't doors don't fall, Jason. It didn't fall. It it closed and it just sounded it. All right. It's all it's a whole thing. <laughs>